This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com forward slash donate. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Yaseen wal Qur'an al-Hakim. بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم ونفخ في الصور فإذا هم من الأجداث إلى ربهم فإذا هم من الأجداث إلى ربهم ياسنون قالوا يا ويلنا من بعثنا من مرقدنا هذا ما وعد الرحمن وصدق المرسلون كانت إلا صيحة واحدة فإذا هم جميع لدينا محضرون فاليوم لا تظلم نفس شيئا ولا تجزون إلا ما كنتم تعملون الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيد المرسلين وعلى آله وصحبه so as we talked about yesterday, we concluded the second major passage or major part of the surah. Um, the first part of the surah focused heavily on the concept, the core concept of, of risala, prophethood, messengerhood, and the validity of it, and the credibility of it, the authenticity of it, and the need to believe in it. The second major part of the surah that we concluded yesterday focused on the central uh, theme of tawheed, oneness of Allah, oneness of God, and the evidences and the way and how to go about in believing and realizing the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the importance of believing in it. The third passage of the surah that we're going to start from today is going to focus on the third core concept that we talked, uh, that we mentioned that Makkah Quran uh, focuses on, and that is akhirah, the life of the hereafter, the fact that there is a life after death. And so, this first part, as happens, uh, as it as was the as was the case with the first passage and the second passage, the first part here, the first few ayat are like an introduction to this topic. So it's going to introduce this topic and then it's going to get into very specific details and specific um, specific nuances or intricacies about believing in the life of the hereafter. So in ayah number 51, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَنُفِخَ That the horn was blown. Asur literally means horn. But it's referring to like the horn that is also blown. So وَنُفِخَ That the horn was blown in. It was blown into the horn, meaning somebody sounded the horn. Somebody blew the horn. And it's saying this in the past tense. When you and I understand that the person reading the Qur'an, listening to the Qur'an, studying the Qur'an, this is yet to occur, this is yet to happen. But why does Allah state it in the past tense? It's to show that this is a confirmed fact. It's like it's done, it's a done deal, it's confirmed, it's going to happen. It's so sure... It's, it's such a done deal that this is going to happen that you could consider it already done. It's already been written down. Signed, sealed, and dated. It's going to happen. There's no changing this fact. So, وَنُفِخَ فُسُورٌ And it was blown into the horn. فَإِذَا هُمْ مِنَ الْأَجْدَاءِ Then all of a sudden, they... Now, who is this they referring to? The same they, the same people that the surah has been talking about up until now. The group of people that didn't want to believe in the messengers. 
The group of people that at the conclusion of the last passage didn't want to accept the concept of the oneness of Allah. Weren't interested in believing in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Rather became very arrogant and were mocking even the belief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The, 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 the concept of just believing in Allah, they were mocking the concept in and of itself. That same group of people, they're, they're the ones being spoken about. Then all of a sudden they from Al-Ajdaat. The word ajdaat is the plural of the word jadat, which means grave. It means grave. But it means a specific type of grave. The, grave, the word for grave in the Arabic language is qabr, the plural of which is qubur. Here the word jadat, or the plural of which is ajdaat is being used. Jadat, the plural of which is ajdaat, it refers to graves that have disappeared. Graves that are so old, that they have forgotten where those graves even existed. The signs of those graves have completely been erased, been removed. You know, like recently in New York City, they, uh, while doing some construction, they found that there was a whole grave site underneath there. And people just didn't even know that ever existed there. Forgotten graves. Just wiped out. Even the signs of them were all completely gone. That's what the word Jadath means. And that's really profound. Because remember, the previous two passages, the passage about believing in the Prophet, the passage about believing in Allah, it ended with one warning to these people. It ended with a warning to these people. And that warning was, in That it would just take one loud, piercing sound, one explosion would happen, and that would literally kill, and completely just demolish and annihilate these people. But the first passage ended with the word, فَإِذَا هُمْ خَامِدُونَ then all of a sudden they would be put out. Khamid comes from Khamada. I explained how it's like putting out a fire. Like you put out a fire, it's called Khamada. So Khamidu means they would be put out, just like you put out a fire. And part of the interpretation or understanding of that is that all signs of them would be removed. All signs of them would disappear. It was as if these people never even existed. And that is a whole other level of humiliation for these people. That when, you, when somebody dies and leaves this world, but they're, they're respectfully buried in a dedicated graveyard. And people know that this person is buried here, or these people are buried here. And people go there and they make dua for them. And they, their relatives regularly go and they visit. And they remember them. And they make dua for them. This is, it's a sign of dignity and honor and distinction. But for somebody to just completely, just be completely uh, forgotten, to the point where their graves are just completely removed. They're just erased. Nobody even remembers these people that even ever existed. It's just, it's such a humiliation. It's just so tragic for somebody to meet that type of an end. So that's what Allah is mentioning, that these people were arrogant in the dunya. Remember the very last ayah of the last passage, how arrogant they were? When they're told to spend in the path of Allah from that which Allah has given them, to feed people out of that which Allah has given them. Should we go and feed those people that if Allah wanted to, He would have fed them Himself? If Allah wanted these people to be fed so badly, why didn't He feed them Himself? Why should we go and feed them? Look at the arrogance. When they displayed this type of an arrogance, look at the punishment of Allah that befell them. Not only were they wiped off the face of the earth, but even all signs of them were wiped off the face of the earth. Nobody even knows these people ever even existed. Just completely wiped away. So this is what Allah mentions about them. فَإِذَا مِنَ الْأَجْدَاثِ They start coming out of their graves. 
Because the horn has been blown. These people are being summoned. They're being resurrected. It's the scene of the day of judgment. So they're crawling out of their graves. They're coming out of their graves. But these are not ordinary graves. These are graves that people didn't even know existed there. And they are going straight to Allah. And the word that's being used about them going straight to Allah is called Yansilun from Nasala. This, at the core of it, it means to go quickly, to walk quickly towards something. But more specifically, this type, this word is used when you're describing somebody walking or running downhill. When somebody walks or runs downhill, the word Yansilun is used. So they are going straight to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, running very quickly, moving quickly, as if they are running downhill. What's the significance of running downhill? When you place a ball or water or any object, and the, the slope is going downhill, what does it naturally do to that thing, that object? It just naturally moves forward, it rolls forward. And you can't stop it unless you like try to obstruct it some way somehow. The natural flow of it is, it's as if Allah is saying that they won't even be able to do anything else. They'll naturally be forced to go in that direction to Allah. This describes something. These people know what's in store for them. These people now realize when they come out of their graves on the Day of Judgment, they're going to realize what they've done. They completely fully realize. The Qur'an mentions that even when they are dying, even when the angel of death comes to take their soul from them, even at that time, Give me one more chance. When they're in their graves, they're going to cry and scream and wish that they were given another chance. So when they come out of the, uh, their graves on the Day of Judgment, they know exactly what's in store for them. But they want to, they, 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 they don't want to go in that direction. But they, they're going to be compelled to go in that direction. They have no choice but to go to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to stand before Allah. Remember what was said in the previous passage? In Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said specifically, that each and every single one of them eventually will end up being made to stand before us, Allah said. Muhdarun, they'll be made to stand before Allah. So this is how they're being made to stand before Allah, that they're naturally just moving in this direction, they can't even help themselves. What are they going to say? They, they'll say, Ya Waylana. They'll curse themselves. Wail is an expression of just remorse, regret. It's like to have pity on someone. Allah says, People that are forgetful about their prayer, Allah says, He has pity on them. These people, they'll say, Ya Waylana. They'll have pity on themselves. They'll curse themselves. They'll, they'll, they'll feel bad for themselves. That how pathetic are we? Ya Waylana. Man ba'athana min marqadina. Subhanallah. They'll say, Who has brought us back to life? The word ba'ath means to bring someone back to life or to push someone along, to make somebody go. So not only will they be brought back to life, but they'll be pushed along and made to stand before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the Day of Judgment. This is described in many ways in the Qur'an. Allah says the word yuza'un. It's kind of like you'll be herded like wild animals, like wild beasts, like cattle. Like you take cattle and you herd them together, they'll be herded together like cattle. So, man ba'athana, they'll say, who has awakened us? Who has brought us back to life? Who has brought us here? Min Mimmarqadina, from our resting place. The word raqada in the Arabic language means to take a nap. Not like deep sleep, not like you sleep at night, but you know when you just kind of lay down on your, you're fasting in Ramadan, you come home from work, 
You're tired, you've had a long day, you just lay down on your couch and you just kind of pass out for a little bit. You're out for like an hour or so. It's light sleep. It's a nap. You're obviously not there to sleep eight hours. But doesn't it feel really, really nice? It's really relaxing, it's refreshing. And when somebody does wake you up, what's your first reaction or first instinct? You say, no. <laughs> Leave me alone. Don't wake me up. Somebody's on the phone. Ah, it's okay. Right? Somebody's at the door. It's all right. So you, you don't want to just deal with anything. It's so relaxing. It's so refreshing. It's so relieving. You're just like, why'd you wake me up? What do you want? It disturbs you when somebody bothers you. Even if it's for your own good. So that's the word rapad. Marqad means a place where you take a nap like this, like your couch. So this imam ba'athana min marqadina. Who woke us up? Who brought us back to life? From our resting place. Now subhanAllah, think about it. Are we, have we been talking about a good group of people or a bad group of people? It's a bad group of people. And I want you to think about that. Bad group of people, isn't it a confirmed fact? Don't we know for, for certain that they'll be punished in their graves? Absolutely. But the fact that these people are now saying that, why'd you wake me up from my comfortable nap? Where I was napping? Why'd you make me get up from my couch where I was napping? They're talking about their grave, but they were being punished in their grave. That means what's in store for them, what they see on the Day of Judgment waiting for them, is so horrific. It is so terrifying that they consider what they went through in their grave to be like a taking a nap. That they consider what they went through in their grave to be like taking a nap. That was actually really pleasant. We'd love to go right back to there. We'll take that. When they went in their grave, they were screaming and crying, Oh, please, please, help us out of this. Now when they see what's waiting for them on the Day of Judgment, the fire of hell, like Allah says, the hellfire will be literally brought in front of people. The Qur'an described the Qur'an literally describes the hellfire that will be growling at people. It will be like a wild animal. The hadith, a hadith actually describes that it will be tied up in 70,000 chains with 70,000 angels holding the chains. And the hellfire will literally be growling, huffing and puffing like a wild beast how it snorts. And it growls at its prey. It'll literally be growling, baring its teeth at these people waiting to enter. Just imagine how horrifying that is. That these people will literally look back at their graves and be like, do you mind if I go take another nap? Is it okay if I go take another nap? That's how horrific the conditions will be. Ya Who woke us up from our comfortable nap? This is that which Ar-Rahman had promised. This is that which Ar-Rahman had promised. وَالصَّدَقَ الْمُرْسَلُونَ And the messengers, those who had been sent from Allah, from the ultimate authority, they were speaking the truth. They spoke the truth. Now who's saying this? So there's two ways to understand this. Either these people themselves are now attesting to the fact that, you know what? هَذَا مَا وَعَدَ rahman This is what Allah had promised. This is exactly what he told us was going to happen. And those messengers that we denied, that we refused, that we called a bunch of liars, you people are just lying to us. They were true. They were, they were telling us the truth. They were, they, were, they were saying what was correct. They were right, we were wrong. That's one thing. And we read the ayat today in Sarawih as well, in Surah Al-Sajda, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that these people, when they're entered into the hellfire, they'll say, رَبَّنَا أَبَصَّدْنَا وَسَمِعَنَا 
They'll say, oh Allah, we have seen, we have heard. فَرْجِعْنَا Return us back to the life of the world. نَعْمَلْ صَالِحًا We will do a good deed. We'll do anything that's good. Whatever that's good that we can find, that we can get our hands on, any good opportunity we get, we'll go for it. إِنَّا مُوْقِنُونَ We completely believe now. Oh, we, you'll get no arguments out of us anymore. We won't make any trouble anymore. We promise, that's it. We've learned our mistake. We, we figured out we were wrong. But we all know they won't be given that chance. So this is a very realistic scenario that these people will literally just stand there and say, we were wrong, you were right, just please let us get out of this. Some way, somehow, let us help, please. So the people themselves could be saying this. And what's beautiful about the statement is, they say, هَذَا مَا وَعَدَ الرَّحْمَانِ They don't say, هَذَا مَا وَعَدَ اللَّهِ This is that which Allah had promised. They say, this is that which Ar-Rahman had promised. Why did he refer? First of all, we've seen throughout Surah, Surah Yasin that the word Rahman is constantly used for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because it's trying to show you, it's trying to make that, uh, uh, it's trying to inspire those emotions of obligation to Allah. Feel indebted to Allah. Feel obligated to Allah. That He's giving you so much. And it reminds you of everything that Allah has given to you by constantly mentioning the quality, the attribute of Allah being Ar-Rahman, the abundantly merciful. That's giving you so much that you can't possibly even imagine. You can't ever comprehend how much Allah has truly blessed you and how much He's given you and how much mercy He's out on So these people themselves will stand there and call Allah Ar-Rahman. That Allah had given us everything. He had given us so much, yet we still didn't listen. So this is that the depth of their realization at this point. But as they say, too little, too late. It's not going to benefit them at this point. The second possible understanding of this ayah is that when they are standing there saying, Ya they'll curse themselves, they'll have pity on themselves and say, Who woke us up from our nap? That Allah will say to them, or the angels will say to them, that this is what Ar-Rahman, the one who had showered His mercy upon you, the one who had blessed you so much, this is what He was promising you. This is what He warned you of. This is what He told you to watch out for. al-Mursalun. And you know those messengers that came to you, that you just brushed off, and that you treated like, so inappropriately, you treated like trash? Those messengers, they were telling you the truth. This is what they were trying to warn you about. And subhanAllah, what's very significant about this ayah is, it shows how the akhirah is the culmination of the belief in Allah and the belief in the Prophet Muhammad That if you believe in Allah and you believe in the Messenger the akhirah will be good for you. You disbelieve in Allah, you disbelieve in the Messenger, and the akhirah will be trouble for you. Because they mentioned two things. مَا وَعَدَ Rahman. This is what Ar-Rahman, Allah had promised. وَصَدَقَ الْمُرْسَلُونَ And the Messengers were telling the truth. And the first two passages were about what? Believing in the Messenger and believing in Allah. So in all, the whole surah ties in here. إِنْ كَانَتْ إِلَّا صَيْحَةً وَاحِدًا Now, this same statement was made at the end of passage 1 and passage 2. Allah talked about the people who reject and refuse the messengers. How were they destroyed? How were they erased by Allah? إِنْ كَانَتْ إِلَّا صَيْحَةً It was just that one piercing sound. That one loud piercing sound that literally made these people's heads explode. فَإِذَاهُمْ خَابِدُونَ They were put out. And the second passage also mentioned, إِنْ كَانَتْ إِلَّا صَيْحَةً وَاحِدًا فَإِذَاهُمْ جَمِيعُ الَّذِينَ مُحْضَرُونَ That one piercing sound and then they'll all be collected and made to stand before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the Day of Judgment again. So just like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned, 
Allah didn't have to make some long preparations and send down an army in order to destroy these people. One sound like that, these people were up. Just like that, in an instant, they were gone. Similarly, Allah says, it doesn't take Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala some long drawn out process, some long prepared process to bring these people back to life, to make them stand before Allah and be accountable. No, no, no. It's very, very simple. What is the process? Once again, it's just that one sound, that one loud piercing sound. What will be the result of it? Then all of a sudden, they'll all, إِذَا means all of a sudden, all of a sudden, they will, all of them, each and every single, the word jamir is used. Even though the word whom is already being used. فَإِذَا هُمْ Then all of them, jamirun, all of them. What, what mean, what, what's meant by reiterating this all of them? The fact that it doesn't matter if they were rich or poor, pious or sinful, believing or disbelieving, old or young, it doesn't matter, male or female, it doesn't matter. Each and every single person, لَدَيْنَا مُحْضَرُونَ Allah says, will be made to stand, will be made, will be presented before us, will be made to stand before us. This is that central concept of accountability. This is one of the most core concepts of our deen, of Islam, of the Qur'an, and even of the message of the Prophet Accountability. And accountability is a very powerful idea. It helps people manage themselves. It keeps people in check. And if we look around us in life, we, we, conduct, we live based on accountability. It's how we conduct ourselves. Clocking and clocking out our work, that's accountability. The, 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 the speed limit on the road, it's accountability. It's, it's the way, it's how we pay our bills, how we live life, how we get an education, how we make money, how we balance our checkbooks. I mean, everything has accountability built into it. And that's actually part of a very successful structure is one that holds people accountable, makes people accountable. It, it, it actually stimulates productivity when people feel accountable. Dean also makes us feel accountable by, by teaching us about the life of the hereafter. That we all have to stand, each and every single one of us, before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the day of judgment and face our deeds and face our actions. It makes us accountable. And it's a very powerful force and concept. Like I was mentioning a couple of days ago, then you don't need police forces, then you don't need laws, and people are naturally accountable. Iman inspires accountability. Accountability makes people live a, a, a proper life. They live properly. Then this person will treat people properly. He'll be good to his neighbors. He won't cheat at work. He'll be good to his family. He'll take care of his responsibilities. Why? Because he knows he has to answer to Allah. That's good enough. He doesn't need anything else. So many incidents, so many stories come to mind. So many things come to mind. The famous story about Umar radiallahu anhu and the mother and the daughter and the mixing of the milk with the water. What was that about? That was accountability. The girl said, it doesn't matter if Amir al-Mu'minin is in here. Allah is watching Allah knows what we're doing. So accountability is a very powerful force. It can keep people in check. And this idea of thinking about Allah, being mindful of Allah is already good. They fear Allah even in, in, in when they're alone, when they're away from people, when they're in the dark little corner of the closet, of their house. Even there they know Allah's watching. That sense of accountability is very powerful. 
Allah then says, and this is the imagery of the Qur'an, now in this next ayah Allah is speaking to us, He's setting the tone for the next few ayat that's going to come. In this next ayah He says, فَالْيَوْمَ That means then today. Now Allah, it's as if Allah is making, telling us to imagine, as if we're standing there on the day of judgment, in the field, in the mahshab, in the maidan. It's as if we're there at the day of judgment. Allah is telling us to picture as if we're sitting here, looking at, we're sitting actually at the day of judgment. فَالْيَوْمْ Then today, it's the day of judgment. This is a powerful imagery of the Qur'an. You know, say, don't, don't think about it as some fairy tale, as some faraway place in a, a long, long time ago, or a faraway galaxy. No, no, no. It says, it's here, it's now. Qiyama is here. And this is something else Allah reiterates throughout the Qur'an. إِنَّهُمْ يَرَوْنَهُ بَعِيدًا وَنَرَاهُ قَرِيبًا Allah says they think Qiyamah is very very far away. Allah says, but we are telling them it's very close. We, we're seeing it right here, it's very close. قَرِيب إِقَتَرَبَ لِلنَّاسِ حِسَابُهُ The time for the accounting of people has come very 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 close. إِقَتَرَبَ It's the exaggerated form. It means very very close. It's right there under their noses. But what, what's wrong with people? فِي غَفْلَةٍ مُعْرِضُونَ but they're just completely oblivious to this reality, this truth. So Allah says, فَالْيَوْمْ Today, لَا تُظْلَمُ نَفْسٌ شَيْئًا Not a single soul. The word nafsun is in its common form. Which means not a single soul will be done wrong to. Not a single soul will be wronged shay'an, not in the least bit. The word dhulm means to misappropriate. To put something where it does not belong. So to wrong someone, to violate someone's rights is dhulm. Not a single person will be wronged, not in the least bit. And we talked about this, we've read the ayat in the in Taraweeh uh, earlier, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says what? Iqra'a kitabak. The people's book of deeds, their entire record of deeds will be placed in front of them. They'll be told, you read your book. Kafa hasiba. This is enough for your accounting today. You, you tell me what I should do with it. Here's your book. Every person will be presented their own book. The criminal will look in his book and he'll be afraid of what he finds in it. They'll say, They'll curse themselves. What's wrong with this book? It hasn't left anything small or big. Everything is here. It's taken everything into account. They'll find each and every single day a single thing they ever did present in front of them, staring them in the face. Allah doesn't wrong anything. So similarly, Allah says, لا تظلم نفس شيئا Not a single soul will be wrong, not in the least bit. ولا تجزون إلا ما كنتم تعملون And they, that's no, not a single soul. People will not, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, you will not be recompensed. You will not be rewarded. You will not find as a return. إِلَّا except that كُنْتُمْ تَعْمَلُونَ What you used to do yourself. This is the epitome of justice. This is ultimate justice. You're going to get exactly that which you did. You'll reap what you sow. You'll find exactly what you invested. That's it. Nothing more, nothing less. No additions, no subtractions. You'll face exactly that which you've done. Nobody can argue against that. Somebody can plead, they can beg, oh Allah, please... I don't want to see the return of my deeds. And that's why we have the concept of istighfar, seeking forgiveness, tawbah, repentance, iman, believing in Allah and then repenting. إِلَّا مَنْ تَابَ وَآمَنَ وَعَمِلَ عَمَلًا صَالِحًا 
to repent to Allah and then believe in Allah and then do good deeds, lots and lots of good deeds. فَأُولَٰئِكَ يُبَدِّلُ اللَّهُ سَيِّعَاتٍ حَسَنَاتٍ Then Allah will actually convert their sins into good deeds. But at the end of the day, this much remains. This is how the Qur'an is presenting, constructing this argument. I talked about how the surah is continuing. So this passage of the surah is just letting people know, look, you have to deal with the consequences of your own actions. Fine, you keep doing what you're doing. You don't. You rejected the messengers, you mocked the, the pure, just the sheer concept of believing in Allah. You thought it was foolish, you thought people who believed in Allah were stupid. So fine, keep doing what you're doing. Keep doing what you're doing. All you will have to face is the consequences of your own choices, of your own deeds and your own actions. So keep doing what you're doing. You'll get what you have coming to you. فَالْيَوْمَ لَا تُظْلَمُ نَفْسٌ شَيْئًا وَلَا تُجْزَوْنَ إِلَّا مَا كُنْتُمْ تَعْمَلُونَ You'll only be given in return that which you have done yourself. Whatever you've invested is what you'll find waiting for you in the life of the hereafter. So this is a very powerful concept of akhirah, the life of the hereafter, life after death, accountability and facing the consequences of our actions and our deeds and having to stand before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and be accountable to Him. And inshallah from here on out, it's going to mention more specifics of not just that accountability, but it will also talk about the reward waiting for the people who did believe in Allah and were obedient to Allah. And it will also talk about the punishment waiting for people who disbelieved in Allah, uh, disbelieved in the messengers and disobeyed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. May Allah give us the ability to practice everything you've said or heard. Subhanallah wa bihamdihi, subhanakallah wa bihamdik, nashhadu wa ilaha illa 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 ill